Welcome to another edition of the College Faith Podcast, sponsored by Global Scholars. This is Stan Wallace, your host, and my guest today is Dr. Randy Newman. In this episode, we will discuss the importance of asking good questions, whether it be in class, in a relationship, or in conversations about our faith, the ability to ask the right questions is often the key to great conversations, learning, and growth. Randy's one of the best question askers I know. He has shared some of his wisdom on this topic as it relates to sharing the good news of the gospel in his popular book, Questioning Evangelism, Engaging People's Hearts the Way Jesus Did. We begin with the principles he shares in this book and broaden the conversation to the value of students asking good questions of their professors, in friendships, in dating, in finding a good church, in choosing a major, in planning a summer, and ultimately, the value of asking questions of and about God. So, Randy, welcome to the show. Thanks. Great to be with you. I've been looking forward to this. Oh, me too. You've written a number of books that focus on why and how to ask good questions in conversations. Why is that so important? Well, why do you think so? Well, it seems that it leads into better conversations and maybe just makes for a much better engagement in the issues. But uh, I really want to know what you have to say. What just happened when I asked you a question? You start answering it or you start brainstorming or you get engaged. If I just said, well, Stan, let me tell you the three most important things about questions. You would kind of sit back a little bit and just sort of watch and observe. Okay. But when someone asks you a question, it engages you in the answering process. And so it becomes a much more... Uh, two-sided, two-people-involved process. How did you get interested in starting to think about these things? Well, culturally, uh, I come from a Jewish background. And in Jewish culture, we answer questions with questions. We we ask a lot of questions. Um, The the, the holiday of Passover is built around asking questions and answering questions. Mm. The whole rabbinic style of education is always with questions. So it's just, it's like in the marrow of my bones. Um, Mm -hmm. Jewish humor is very often worded in the form of a question. How could I not think that? Uh, Why wouldn't I think so? I mean, that's, it's just so it's ingrained. That's the first thing. But the other thing uh, that eventually led to uh, my writing that book, Questioning Evangelism, was I was just really frustrated. There was just a whole lot of evangelistic strategies that never worked on the campuses where I was. Hmm. I worked with the Campus Crusade, and I was always on the East Coast, big city commuter campuses where the standard stuff in the Midwest and the South, it it was just very different worlds. So I would hear these stories of what really worked so very well in Ohio or Alabama. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, in Baltimore or Washington, D.C., those things ain't working. Mm-hmm. So I had to experiment with asking questions and seeing how that would work. Okay. Well, back to your growing up in a Jewish culture, did you find it was easy to learn to ask questions that had just come naturally because it was part of that warp and woof of conversation? Or did you find you really had to work on it to become a good question asker? 
No, I, uh, I think it just came naturally because it was just in the culture. So it was only later when I started teaching about it that lots of people would say to me, you know, it just comes so naturally to you, but it doesn't come naturally to everybody. Mm-hmm. So what that meant was I just I had to step back from it and say, okay, all right, I, I can accept that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let me try to examine it because there is there's there's enough of a teacher in me that I wanted to figure out. Well, how how do I help people do this? Right. Uh, let me back up a little bit further. Um, you know, the way I came upon this whole idea about asking questions related to evangelism. I started doing a bunch of different seminars at churches and with student groups about witnessing to Jewish people, telling Jewish people about Jesus, the Messiah. Mm. And I said, you know, culturally, it's got to be much more of a dialogue, a back and forth kind of thing. You've got to allow them to do just as much talking as you're doing. Mm -hmm. And a very good way to do that is to answer questions with questions not answer questions with answers, at least not right away. Mm -hmm. And what happened was a lot of people started saying to me, hey, you know, I I think this is true, not just of Jewish people. Mm. I think, you know, I think that this this kind of dialogue, back and forth, answering a question with a question is just making more and more sense in a larger context, particularly as I don't know, uh, people, some people attached it to postmodernism, you know, people like to be involved in the discussion more. So, um, so those are some of the things that contributed toward this idea. But then I, I started trying to say, well, how do I help people ask questions? So why do you think we tend not to ask questions and have to learn to do this? Well, when you say we, who, who, who do you mean we? You said, why don't we do this? See, he answered the question with a question. I can't stop myself. I'm sorry. <laughs> <You> can't stop. <laughs> who do you mean when you say we? Uh, yeah, I mean, we believers, uh, when we share the gospel, we tend not to ask many questions. And when we go through training uh, to share our faith better, that tends not to be the emphasis. Well, we have the starting assumption that we have the answers and they don't. So we we should tell them what the answers are. We should tell them the truth. And we should. So I'm, I'm, I'm not doubting that assumption. It is true. We as believers, we have the truth and we're proclaiming the truth. And we know that the people we're talking to, based on what scripture says, that they don't know the truth, they're in darkness, they've been deceived. So yes. And so we think that all we need to do is just deliver answers. So we don't need to ask questions. We need to here, you, I mean, we, we would never quite say it this bluntly, but it's sort of like, okay, you need to stop talking and I need to do the talking because I have the answer. So I don't want to jump, you know, way the other kind of like, I don't know, relativistic postmodern thing. I was like, well, nobody has any answers and we should just listen to each other. No, that's not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. It just seems to me that a dialogue and asking questions is a better, a more effective way of proclaiming the truth and proclaiming answers. Mm -hmm. So I think that's part of the problem is we think, well, we have the answers. I don't need to ask questions. I just need to, you know, dump these answers on people and then they'll be enlightened. (laughs) So I tried that for quite a few years in campus ministry and it didn't work. (laughs) I mean, I, I would deliver, I I must tell you, I think I delivered some really brilliant answers, Um, well-crafted, philosophically sound, theologically rich, 
and people just kind of glazed over or shrugged their shoulders. And, uh, I don't know what you're talking about, man. Right. So, <laughs> well, share share with me some examples of times in conversations that you have used questions and really opened up a dialogue with a non-believer. Sure. Um, well, so I'll, I'll give you two. Ex- I'll, I'll give you pairs of examples. Okay. When I tried it the direct way with giving an answer and it didn't work, mm. and then how it worked better by asking a question. For example, a lot of people would say, um, you know, it doesn't matter what you believe. You, you can believe anything you want. Everybody gets to choose what they want to believe. We craft our own reality. You, you can believe anything you want as, as long as it works for you. Mm-hmm. All right. So I, I heard that a lot. We all still hear that a lot. It's very common. Sure. And so for a long time, my responses would be, well, no, that's not true. You, you can't believe anything you want. I mean, there's some things that are really bad that you, you shouldn't believe. And here, let me tell you why that's wrong. And, and have you ever heard of the law of non-contradiction? And da, 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 da. And again, people would just kind of get this look on their face, like, what is your problem? And surely they must have medication for people like you. <laughs> so I, I started experimenting with, okay, wait a minute. I mean, that, so that didn't work. Let's try asking questions. So people would say, well, you can believe anything you want. You, you can believe anything as long as, as long as it works for you. And I would say, really? You, you really think so? Do you, do, you, do you really believe you can believe anything? And, and, and it was almost like, it almost like, you know, so it was like waking people up. It's like, oh, yeah, oh, this, this guy, I mean, I, I've used this cliche a lot of times and it always just kind of ended the conversation. This guy wants to keep the conversation going. Huh? Do I really think so? And then they, you know, then they're kind of awake. Like, well, do, do you think, do you think it's okay to believe anything? Aren't, aren't there some beliefs that people shouldn't believe? Like, you remember there was this, uh, there was this cult I think it was out on the West Coast, and they believed that when a certain comet went by, that they should all kill themselves. So, so I would kind of give that as I said, "Now you don't, you don't think that's okay, do you?" Like, oh, well. Hmm. So that was one kind of example where asking a question was was more effective in in engaging people in a good conversation. Mm-hmm. So very often, a conversation is not really a conversation; it's like two simultaneous monologues of people who aren't really listening to each other. Right. Exactly. So here's, here's another example. People would say, well, you know, I, I think, I think all religions are basically the same, right? I mean, they're just different paths up the same mountain. Well, no, they're not. That's just ridiculous. And (laughs) of course, of course saying that's ridiculous is not a very effective line. So I'm not recommending that. (laughs) People would say, you know, I think all religions are basically the same. And I'm I'm pretty sure that at that point I would say, oh no, they're not. No, here let me tell you, let me tell you how Judaism is different than Buddhism, which is different than Islam, which is different than here. I have charts. Let me show you. Hmm. And and again, it's like yes, what I was saying was true and accurate and biblical and logical, but it didn't work. So then it was well. Let me I'll see. So by the way, I'm sometimes when I talk about this, people say, oh, I just. I can't think that quickly on my feet. I'm just not brilliant on the spot. And I say, well, I'm not either. I just do a whole lot of brainstorming outside of those situations. I I kind of imagine, all right, what, what can I say? What would, what would be three or four or a half a dozen things I could say when someone says, I think all religions are the same. Vast, vast, vast majority of people cannot just come up with something brilliant on the spot. 
So I just do a whole lot of prep thinking, okay, well, what would I say then? Or what would I say then? If someone says, well, I think all religions are basically the same. Now I ask a question. And this is a question that can apply to a lot of different situations. But the question is, can, can you explain that to me? I don't, I don't get that. I don't see how that fits. Uh, can you explain how Judaism and Buddhism are the same? Like, like, where are they the same? And by the way, we, we, we all need to practice and ask God to give us a, a, a sense of compassion for the person we're talking to. Because you, you can word the exact same question in an obnoxious gotcha kind of way. Mm-hmm. Like, can you explain that to me? <laughs> like, like how, how can that make sense? Well, that's not going to look, that's not going to draw people into the wonder of the grace of the gospel. Mm. But in a sense, sometimes we need to put them on the defensive. Now, again, we need to do it gently and lovingly, but a question like, can you explain that to me? I don't, I don't see how that can work out. And for some people, they've just never really thought about it. They've, they've hidden behind the cliche, all religions are the same, but they've never really studied it or looked at it. Or they've said it and someone has attacked them. No, they're not. Let me tell you why Jesus is the only way. And he's different than all other religions because he's the only one who rose from the dead. And yes, eventually we want to deliver that content far more nicely than I just did. (laughs) (laughs) But it's just, it's far more effective to ask a question and engage and draw people in. Like I said, so that it's a two-way conversation, but both of you now are moving from lack of connection to the truth to f- deeper connection. For them, they're, they're coming for the very first time. For you, you're also moving along incrementally with them and uh, coming to a deeper realization of something that you did understand before, but you're, you're, the process is richer for both of you. Mm, mm-hmm. And in that explanation, you've also answered something else I was wondering about, and that is for those of us who aren't naturally good at asking questions or didn't grow up around people who did, how do we learn to be better at that? And you've given some really good steps, I think. Are there other things in addition that those of us who are in training as question askers might put into practice? Uh, Yeah, I have a couple of ideas. The biggest thing I would want to say is, well, try learning this skill in much easier situations than evangelism mm-hmm. or, you know, deep philosophical discussions. Develop the art of question asking in much, much easier, more, more mundane settings. So you're just having a conversation with someone and they happen to mention, uh, for example, I'm just kind of pulling this. Sure. Uh, if they say, um, well, you know, for a real long time, I lived in, in New York and now we live in, uh, you know, we just moved to the Washington, D.C. area two years ago. Now, when someone says that, sometimes what we want to do is we want to we want to share our story. Oh, well, you know, it's funny. Um, we moved to Washington, D.C., but we moved from Kentucky. And then they say, oh, well, yeah. Well, so so then it's then it's like parallel monologues moving along. So instead they say, well, you know, we, I I lived, you know, in New York for much of my life. And then I moved to Washington, DC. Oh, so, 
So now you just change your perspective to start asking questions. Oh, so like, what are some of the biggest differences you see between the two places? Hmm. And what have been some of the more difficult transitions? You make a decision rather than just sharing my parallel story. I want to ask questions to draw them out more. I want to find out more. So part of it is, you know, asking God to work in your heart that you'd be more curious. So someone says, I work in administration at my university. Oh, um, which, which part of the administration? Oh, it's finance. Oh, that's kind of interesting. The things change over the course of the academic year. Is your job different in September than it is in February? Um, what do you like best about it? What are some of the parts about your job that you really hate? In other words, you're just trying to develop asking questions where people share more about themselves. And it's easier to talk about the weather <laughs> than it is to talk about Jesus. Now, we want to we talk to, about Jesus, but if you want to try to develop the, the art of being a good listener and a good question asker, it's easier to talk about mundane things and ask questions about those things. Let's relate this specifically to the experience of university students on campus. What are some ways they might apply these principles in their contexts? Whew. How long do we have? <laughs> um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if raising the topic of spirituality or religion is difficult. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't be surprised if people are uncomfortable with that. So I think to anticipate that it may be difficult or uncomfortable is part of, that's just helpful. I mean, if you think this is going to be easy and natural, say, hey, what do you think about, mm -hmm. and people go, wait a minute, what are you talking about? It's like, wow, why are you being so uncomfortable? Well, because it is uncomfortable in our current context. So part of it is just thinking, okay, this may be difficult, this may be uncomfortable. Um, and then then asking people, you know, um, uh, if spiritual things have been part of their lives. I, I would try to brainstorm some pretty broad, open-ended questions rather than very, very pointed questions. So mm. um, it used to be people said that the best way to start a spiritual conversation was to say to someone, if you were to die tonight, how sure are you that you'd go to heaven? Mm -hmm. That's a pretty pointed question. I mean, that's, that's now I agree. It gets right to the heart of the matter. Um, but I just think for a lot of people that just may, that may shut down conversation. So on a much broader, open-ended uh, side of things, well, do, you, do you ever think much about spiritual stuff? Mm. Is, you know, or faith or religion, is that, has that ever been a part of your life? Sometimes even backing up even further is a permission question. In a sense, you're asking for permission to have a future conversation about this stuff. Mm. You're getting to know someone, you find out where they're from, what they like to do, what kind of books they like to read, favorite movies, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And in the course of that, you say, well, I, you know, I wonder, would you ever be up for talking about spiritual stuff sometime? And what you're doing is you're, you're buying an entry ticket to a future conversation. Mm. Would you ever be interested in this? Would do, could we ever talk about this? First of all, by, by, putting it off to the future, you take some of the pressure off. Sure. And then it doesn't feel like an intrusion. 
uh, it feels like they they gave you permission to have this conversation next week or sometime. Right. It also, I find that in between the time when you ask permission for that conversation and a week later or whatever, when you have the conversation, they've had some time to think about it. I wonder what, I wonder what I'm going to say. Well, I wonder how is I wonder how spiritual stuff has been a part of my life. Well, um, so I think it it paves the way for a better conversation. Mm-hmm. Related to this, I think I know what you're going to say to this, but I'm going to ask you anyway, because I'm trying to be a good question asker. What about those all too often conversations when the fellow student says, so why do you believe that garbage about Jesus? Or how can you be so naive to believe the New Testament is accurate? How do students respond well in those kind of conversations? Mm. So he said, answering a question with a question. So sometimes the question is to clarify. Mm-hmm. So I want to want to clarify. So I think I think you're asking how how should we respond when the question posed to us lets us know that the person is hostile or closed to our thinking. I mean, you use some words like, you know, how can you be so naive? Right. So is that the question you're asking me? That's part of it. More broadly, how do we think about these things when we are the one being asked the question, even if it's not antagonistic, perhaps? Okay. Okay. Well, I do think we all need to be prepared so that if someone ever does ask us, let's let's start with the less difficult situation of when it's a genuine, sincere, and respectful question. So, hey, um, I, I, I noticed that you're kind of religious, like, like you go to that group on Thursday night on campus. And I think, I think you told me that you go to church on Sunday. So how, how'd that happen? How'd you, how'd you get into that? Mm. So, so that's not too hostile. That's genuinely inquisitive. So let's start there. So I would encourage people to think, well, what, what can you say if someone asks that question, you want to be prepared and yeah, even even to the point of having kind of like a memorized list of things that you'd want to say. I don't I don't know about a memorized speech. I wouldn't mm-hmm. quite do that, but sure. I, I would want to have a few things ready to go that I could answer in a minute or two max mm-hmm. that would answer the person's question, but open up the possibility for them to explore further. Sure. So in a strange kind of way, I'm encouraging people to accomplish more by attempting less. Hmm. In other words, I wouldn't try to give my whole entire life story and everything that led up to this climactic conversion and the difference that Jesus has made and how he makes a difference in my life. Every, I mean, yes, you should be prepared to answer those questions too, but I, I would have a very prepared thought of either the story of how I became a Christian or why being a Christian is so important to me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so, so I would just encourage people to, to actually work on that and try to be able to say, if I only had a minute and somebody said, why do you believe this stuff? What would you say? So that would be one thing as far as preparing. Mm-hmm. And then I would have people prepare and think through the two to five minute story. If the person sounded interested and well, like so, like tell me more. Like how did like how did that happen? Or 
Um, is this was this just something that you were raised in, or was there some time when when you kind of you know embraced it for yourself? Well, yeah, and there were there were several things. There was I read this book, or this experience happened to me, and you know I, I would say you know the two biggest reasons are ta da ta da. Mm-hmm. Again, so it's just it's preparing ahead of time. Right. Now, if I can jump to the other scenario that's more hostile, mm-hmm. uh, and that's very, very important. We need to recognize when people, they're, they're not really asking us a, a sincere question. They're attacking us. Right. And you have to be able to recognize those situations. And, and they're, they're often, they're not quite so um, hard to recognize. <laughs> what did, did you use the word naive? Mm-hmm. How could you be so naive as to believe the New Testament? Oh, I think I see a couple of red flags there. One <laughs> of them is the word naive. <laughs> so in those situations, you want to encourage people and prepare people to step out of that conversation and have, have the way I word it sometimes is uh, to have a conversation about the conversation. Hmm. So before you answer their question, you, you make an observation about the way they ask the question. So how can you be so naive as to believe the New Testament? All right, let me step out of that and say, um, well, it's an interesting choice of the word naive. Um, is that a real question? Is that a sincere question? Because I have a couple of ideas about why I think the Bible is you know, worth reading. But um, is that what you really want to talk about? Or is it something else? You see what I'm doing? I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm stepping out of that specific issue. Mm-hmm. And sometimes what that can do is just lower the temperature and, and make for a much better conversation. Yeah. I mean, I have said to a few people sometimes like, you know, that, that kind of felt like an attack. Did you mean to attack me there? Cause I mean, it kind of felt like a pot shot where you're trying to take a pot shot. And then also, Oh no, no, I, I'm sorry. I didn't, I mean that. No, I mean, no, I'm, 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 I'm genuinely curious. Now I'm not so sure they were genuinely curious when they started. But by my asking the question and observing, it kind of brought about a better conversation. I always have to chime in. Um, Jesus did this. Hmm. Uh, so this, this isn't just this wise guy, Jewish guy that Stan Wallace is uh, interviewing. And you know, he's from New York, so he's kind of harsh and kaboom. <laughs> but um, there were times that Jesus didn't answer people's questions. Uh, and there's times that he pointed out what was really going on below the surface. And we should learn from his example. So, so for example, one very, very strong example, I think, was toward the end of the Gospels, Jesus is teaching and um, religious leaders come and they say to him, uh, tell us, Rabbi, by whose authority are you doing this? And you could just hear it in in the tone of voice, mm-hmm. just like okay, they're, they're not really curious about where Jesus's authority comes from, right? And so he turned it back on them, and he said, "Well, let me ask you a question: <laughs> uh, John's baptism was it from heaven or from men?" And they go, "Oh, well, because if we say it's from heaven, then you know he'll say, why didn't you believe John?' But if we say it's from people, you know, well, the whole crowd will be right; they'll have a riot. So they come back to Jesus and they say, "We don't know." And Jesus said, then neither will I answer your question. I mean, there's times not to answer people's questions. I, I mean, I know this is uncomfortable, but it, but if you prepare for it, I mean, we're trying to apply those principles in the book of Proverbs about, you know, uh, 
Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or, or you'll be like him yourself. Mm-hmm. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. And so sometimes when some people attack us, we should say, okay, I, I, I don't get the idea that this is a real question. Uh, I mean, if you want to have a, a, a discussion about the New Testament, I, I could have that conversation. That would be good. And, and like I said, in a lot of times, then people do open up and they are interested. But until, until you diffuse some of the sarcasm or the attacking, uh, it's not going to be a productive conversation. Mm. And those two proverbs you just mentioned seem to say opposite things. And your point is that in some contexts, you ought not to answer. And in other contexts, you ought to. And it's really more of an art than a science, I assume. Yeah, and, and and it's it's two sides of the same coin. And and so it, it's worth meditating on those two proverbs and just kind of think, okay, what are some situations where, okay, do not answer a fool according to his father or you'll be like him yourself. All right, what, what, what is that like? Well, that's like if someone throws in a, a sarcastic attack at you and then you return with a sarcastic attack. Mm-hmm. Like, are you so naive that, you know, to believe the New Testament? Oh, so are you so ignorant that you've never read the book? Well, now, now you're just two sarcastic fools. You've become like him. Right. The other side of the coin, answer a fool as his folly deserves, is another translation. Okay. Lest he be wise in his own eyes. So take the exact same question. The person says, uh, are you so naive as to believe the New Testament? Well, uh, you know, there's actually a lot of good archaeological uh, evidence to support why the New Testament is valid. And you give a, a really great answer. And the person's just thinking, yep, that's what I thought. He's an idiot. So, so you, you allowed the person to go away wise in their own eyes instead of pointing out their foolishness. And it, again, it, I, I realize it's difficult, but it's absolutely necessary. We will return to our show in just a moment. But first, a word from our sponsor. Guests on the College Faith Podcast often discuss how important Christian professors are in the lives of their students during these impressionable years. Christian professors are examples to non-Christian and Christian students that a person can be educated and still follow Christ. And they can have a lifelong influence as mentors to Christian students during their college years. Please consider helping to equip Christian professors to make a difference on a campus near you and worldwide. To learn more, please visit www.global-scholars.org. I also invite you to check out my other podcast, Thinking Christianly. This College Faith podcast explores more the practical issues of flourishing in college and in life. The Thinking Christianly podcast, I, along with Dr. J.P. Moreland, discuss more of the ideas that shape the university, our culture, and our world. To learn more, Visit thinkingchristianly.org or download episodes on your favorite podcast platform. And now, back to the show. Let me shift gears here. Uh, we've been talking about evangelism, but a, a recent guest, Dr. Philip Bishop, I think you know him as well, oh, yeah. uh, was recently on the show, and he emphasized the importance of asking questions uh, to, to professors. And do you have any suggestions of how students might do this well so they can excel academically? Hmm. All right. So students asking professors, uh, are we, are we talking about in the classroom? In a lot of contexts, it could be the classroom during office hours. Uh, maybe when you run into the professor, even on campus, uh, 
how can students take these ideas we've been talking about related to evangelism and apply them to other contexts like their studies and their time with their professors? Mm. Wow. Well, the, the, the broad starting point is we want to ask questions so that we grow in our understanding. So I, I want to ask questions so that I understand the subject matter more or that I understand how this particular subject matter relates to a larger setting in life. Now, some of it may also be, I want to get to know this professor more and hear, um, how, how did you decide to go into the field of anthropology? What was, what was you know, most attractive to you about that? Mm-hmm. I think it's the idea of trying to understand things better and deeper and not just what do I need to do to get an A in this class? Mm-hmm. A lot of students' questions are simply, what do I need to do right. so that I, I provide the kind of paper that you're looking for that would get an A? Right. Uh, <laughs> professors do get tired of that, I think. So... Uh, you know, I think you have to you have to try to develop genuine inquisitiveness and curiosity. Yeah, and let's relate this to the earlier conversation uh, when a professor might be antagonistic toward a student's faith mm. and might be uh, asking the same type of questions or might be making claims that make the students seem um, silly or childish or unreflective. Uh, might asking a question in response be a good reply for a student? Uh, yes, but but this is very difficult. Mm-hmm. So um, so I would I would never imply to a student that this is going to be easy. Mm-hmm. And the tricky balance is you do want to show respect because the person you're talking to is older and more experienced in life. And uh, with the situation of a professor, they're more educated. Mm -hmm. And so uh, you want to show respect. You you also want to show respect to everybody, any person, no matter who they are, because they're creating the image of God. But very often, Christian students are treated unfairly in the classroom and also privately in faculty offices, where professors do take pot shots at the Christian faith or students. And so it's tricky in that, well, I want to be respectful, but this person is not treating me with respect. So it's like this tricky thing of, okay, I don't want to answer a fool according to his folly, lest I be like him. So he, he took a pot shot at me. I want, I want to take a pot shot at him. No, that, that's, that's not right. So it's very difficult, but I would encourage students to think through how they might handle it. I do think that a lot more can be accomplished in private conversations. I'm trembling because I know how very difficult this is, but, but it needs to be done. So if a, if a, if a professor took a pot shot at um, a Christian perspective in classroom, and it wasn't the kind of situation where you could raise your hand and say, Dr. So-and-so, that's wrong, I, I would make an appointment and go see the professor mm. in, in, in a faculty office and say, I'm not trying to convert you. I'm not trying to convince you otherwise. But I felt disrespected when you said that. And I would appreciate it if you would respect 
other positions and other perspectives. Uh, it's very, very difficult to say, but what you're trying to appeal to is something that the academic world says it believes. Now, they don't always practice what they believe, but the academic world does say we want to be respectful of different positions and perspectives. And um, if needed to be, the student could play the card of, you know, we're, we're living in a time when we're all growing and learning about diversity and respecting people who are different than us. I don't think you would have made a sarcastic, insulting statement about people based on their ethnicity mm-hmm. or their gender. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm, I'm coming to you and asking you to respect people who hold religious views that are different than yours. And I, I realized that there are very, very few students that could do that in a polished professional way and I would encourage them to do it anyway, because it doesn't have to be polished and it doesn't have to be professional. Mm-hmm. And a university professor should realize that someone who's 18 years old, no, they don't have life experiences, but that took a lot of guts for them to come and make an appointment and mm-hmm. say, you know, I mean, this is supposed to be an environment where we're respecting different ideas. They call the university the marketplace of ideas. I, I just think that was kind of an unfair, disrespectful way of expressing yourself. There are far too many professors who have gotten away with it for so long that it's almost like part of their polished shtick to lump all Christians in the same category that they're all stupid and anti-intellectual. Well, we, we do have a fair amount of anti-intellectualism that we have to combat, but that's not true for every, it's not true of all Christians. Mm-hmm. Well, and to your earlier point, you could even ask that as a question, right? Say something like, you know, it, it, it seems to me like that's not the type of thing you would say to somebody of a different ethnicity or gender. Uh, am, am I missing something? Why, why is it seemingly appropriate to say that about me or my faith and you wouldn't uh, see the same be true of another faith or, 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 or difference? Yeah. Might that be a way to go? Yeah. Also, again, for preparing students for this, uh, I would say there is a possibility. I, I, I don't think this is a probability, but there is a possibility that this will not go well at all. Mm-hmm. And the professor will say, well, I think what you believe is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And my job in the university is to prevent people from believing stupid things. So yeah, I'm going to keep doing that. In which case you're being persecuted for the Christian faith. And we did get a lot of warnings from Jesus that there would be persecutions. Right. And, and so then that's another whole thing of, well, how do I handle persecution? Mm-hmm. Um, how do I tap into all the riches that I have in Christ so that when I get slighted or insulted by a person, it doesn't quite hurt so much. It does hurt. It is painful. It is difficult. Mm-hmm. But that does come with the territory of following Jesus. So to sum up, Whether with a professor or a student, it might be helpful to ask a question, but that doesn't mean the conversation will go well, and that's okay. We're to expect that sometimes and uh, have the resources spiritually to be okay with that. Yeah, yeah. So can I tell a story? Sure. And it's a beautiful story. I I just, I love this story. People who read a lot about C.S. Lewis may recognize the name Lyle Dorset. He's now retired. He's over 80 years old. 
um, but he had a, a whole career of teaching uh, connected with Wheaton College and then uh, Beeson Divinity School connected to Samford University. And a long career history, C.S. Lewis scholar. What people don't necessarily know about Lyle's uh, life is he just rose in the academic world rather quickly. He got his doctorate when he was younger than 30. Mm. Got, a, got a tenured professor in history at, I believe it was University of Denver or Denver University. But he wasn't a Christian, and he was really miserable. I mean, he's very successful academically, mm-hmm. but rather miserable, and uh, an alcoholic. He was getting drunk on the weekend to kind of dull the pain of all this. And um, he had an undergraduate student who would show up in class early and um, read his Bible. Actually, was, he was reading his Bible and reading the Greek New Testament. And he would see this student, you know, read this, and he would start asking questions. And basically, Lyle Dorset's perspective was that Christianity is for stupid people, and um, it's not an intelligent religion. And no, he, he said in class a number of times, no thoughtful person would ever be a Christian because it's such a thoughtless faith. And this student challenged him mm. and said to him, um, Dr. Dorset, have you ever read anything by C.S. Lewis or G.K. Chesterton? Mm. And he, he, no, he hadn't. He said, well, I, I think you ought to read this because um, they were thoughtful, intelligent men and yet they were Christians. And so he bought Lyle Dorset a copy of Chesterton's uh, Orthodoxy mm-hmm. and uh, signed it and uh, told him that he'd be praying for him. And Dorset took the book because, because the student treated him with respect. Mm-hmm. And he thought, well, I, I can't write off all Christians as being stupid and thoughtless because, number one, this student is a good student and he's smart and he speaks articulately, and he's telling me about C.S. Lewis and G.K. Chesterton, and I know enough about these people that I can't just write them off. Mm -hmm. Um, It took a while before Lyle's life kind of took a a turn, and, uh, you know, the, the, the drunkenness caught up with him and caused some problems, and so he decided to read Orthodoxy and then Mere Christianity and became a Christian as a result. Mm. It's just this beautiful story. And uh, they reconnected many years later. But it was it was an undergraduate student being bold enough, but but respectful enough to challenge. And and there are other stories like that of undergraduate students who dared to say politely mm-hmm. and respectfully, um, I think you ought to read this. Mm. Um, it's worth considering. Mm-hmm. That's encouraging. I've heard a number of stories like that as well. And, uh, and it always strikes me how God works in the midst of those conversations. And often it's simply being willing to follow the Spirit's leading and in, in a gentle way, yet in a direct way to invite the, the professor to consider that this might be true. And uh, of course, you've got to have good reasons already to think that might be true and know a book like Orthodoxy to give him or her right. uh, to your earlier point to be prepared. But uh, when we are prepared, according to First Peter 3.15, uh, God, uh, God can use us. And, you know, I, and I think now I'm repeating myself, but it, it does seem to me this fits in this idea of we can accomplish more by attempting less. And what I mean is 
sometimes and this is really difficult to do because we we, we want to like we want to pounce you know we want to overwhelm with tons of evidence mm-hmm. but sometimes um we, we want to say well you know i i i think there are some good reasons to consider the bible now in our mind we're thinking consider the bible no we should read it we should devour it. we should memorize it we should believe every word of it it's god's inerrant word it's in, yes 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 but we will accomplish more if we just can first help people grasp, maybe there's something there that's worth considering. Mm. Here, here's, here's a way to think of it. There are many people who, they're, they're in the category of, no, I don't believe this. And no, it's not even possible to believe. Mm-hmm. And we want to get them to, yes, I do believe it. And it's the best thing that I could have ever believed. So we want to move them from no to yes. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a, there are a bunch of people who have to go through ser- a series of maybe before they get to yes. Mm-hmm. So, no, I think this religion is ridiculous because only narrow-minded idiots believe it. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe that's not true for everybody because there's this one guy uh, in my class, and he's not a narrow-minded idiot, and he's respectful. So, so maybe maybe there's something to it. Maybe there are some intelligent people who believe this. Maybe... I should give it more consideration than I have. You see what I'm saying? Mm, oh, yeah. No to maybe, 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 ooh, well, probably, or I think I'm being convinced of this. Um, again, we want them to move from no to yes in 45 seconds. And, um, and God can certainly do that. Sometimes he does. Mm-hmm. But often it's more gradual and incremental. Well, I want to broaden this conversation even further from evangelistic conversations with students uh, first to conversations even with professors. And now I'd like to talk about how students can ask questions in other contexts. And I want to start in, in the area of friendship. You and I have been friends, as I mentioned, a number of years, 30 plus. And whenever we're together, I am just amazed at the the questions you ask that really draw me out and lead us into a really rich conversation. So what are some principles that you found helpful in learning to develop friendships by asking good questions, as you've modeled so well with me? Mm. Well, I'm very encouraged that, 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 that we have... Uh, I'm speechless. <laughs> I think I might put that on my on my resume because I don't think that's maybe ever happened. <laughs> <laughs> I made Randy Newman speechless. Well, apparently the fact that I'm still talking proves that that was not true. Uh, apparently, that was a self-refuting statement. <laughs> I am speechless, and let me let me give you a speech as to why I've become speechless. Exactly. So I'm just stalling. Um, well, here let me let me put it this way. I did say earlier that a lot of a lot of conversations are really more like simultaneous monologues. Mm-hmm. Or here's another way of thinking: some, sometimes we think of sometimes conversations feel like a ping pong match. Mm. Goes this way, then this way, then this way, back forth, back forth, back forth. That describes probably ninety percent of the conversations I have. Well, I wonder if sometimes we can change and say, "Let me try to keep the attention on their side of the court." for a little bit, rather than just letting the ball come to me. It's like I keep the ball on their side. I think this analogy of ping pong is breaking down. It's not working. So, so, but instead of it being, they say something, I say something, they say something, I say something, mm-hmm. they say something. And I say, Ooh, let me, let me try to dig into that a little bit more. 
So, so some of those questions are just exploring more dimensions of that. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get it out of the theory. Well, you gave a good example earlier about moving from New York to Washington. All right. So let's, let's use that same example. Someone said, well, you know, we just moved to the DC area two years ago and I lived in New York for many years. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So, well, what was it that brought you to DC and what are some of the differences that you find and how has that been for you? So on, there's one set of questions that are very informational. Oh, how long ago was it that you moved? Mm-hmm. How long did you live there? What do you do now here? Where did you buy a house? You know, information. Mm-hmm. There's another set of questions. And you don't always go here, by the way, because if, if you always do, people feel like, like, is this a psychotherapy appointment? Do I, do I have to pay you money for this? So, um, but, but sometimes you do want to go a little deeper of the more emotional. Oh, so, so what was that like? What have been, what have been the, the most fun things about that? What have been the most hard things about that? Um, what do you like about that? How, do, how have you handled it? So, that, so you see, those are, those are a secondary layer, more emotional. What was that like? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and by the way, I, I think that there are a whole lot of people who very, very rarely have conversations on those levels. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all informational. Right. I remember one time uh, I was doing this with a group and I was trying to use an example. I said, so how about this? You know, someone shows up and they go, oh, man, I'm so sorry I'm late. It just took me so much longer to get here than I thought it was going to take. All right. Well, there's a bunch of information questions you could ask, like, how did you come? Which route did you go? Did you use the GPS on your phone or were you using something else? Did you just try to wing it? Um, was there an accident? Okay, so that's all informational. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. In fact, I think conversations should start there. But but then it can go to, so what was that like? And how do you typically handle that? Did you grow up with uh, real difficult traffic situations? And so, mm-hmm. so it's, it's, it's thinking of questions in different categories. Again, some are information, some are more emotional. Mm-hmm. Can, can I give you a can I give you a third category? Okay, sure. Yeah. A third category is questions about what, what have you learned that I can learn? So uh, I often like to ask the questions of the person that I know they're ahead of me in. they've thought about this more, you know, to be able to say, well, you know, you've, you've, you've traveled around these parts more, help me get my bearings. Or that's a little bit of a superficial example. Uh, or uh, you've you've been married longer than I have. What have you found to be two or three of the of the the life lessons that I had to make sure I I I understand? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So part of it is just a change of mindset. Of I need to be ready to share something to match what they're sharing, and instead it's let me try to get to know them better. Mm-hmm. Let me try to get to know what they're talking about better. Mm-hmm. Let me try to get to know anything better. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one other thing, and I, I find this just to be so beautiful. Sometimes you can ask questions and people start realizing things they didn't realize before, even about themselves, mm. or they start connecting some things that they had never seen connected before. Uh, I don't know. Someone tells you they've been going through a really difficult time and you say, have there been any people who have been particularly helpful for you as you've gone through this? Mm-hmm. And 
for some of them, it may be like, oh, you know, oh, you're right. And, and, you know, I don't think I realize this that much, but, you know, my brother has called me more times in the last month than probably the previous year. And he's really been helpful. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I, I think I, wow, I, I don't think I realized this before, but I, I think my relationship with my brother has gotten better than ever. Mm -hmm. And, and they didn't quite realize it. It was sort of below the surface, but by you asking the question, it came up to the surface. Right. Or, you know, you, you know, someone they say we've been through a hard time. Well, like, like what kind of things have alleviated stress for you in this? They go, you know what? Nothing. And boy, I, you know, I, I really need to think about that because I, I've got to figure out a way. I don't know. Do you have any ideas? Well, here's what works for me. No, that wouldn't work. But you know what that reminds me of? Mm -hmm. So, so by the way, so here's another principle in this. You can sometimes take a guess and you don't have to be right. Sure. <laughs> Just the fact that you're trying to enter into their world. If they're, if, you know, you say, oh, so was that helpful for you? Well, no, it wasn't helpful at all. But you know what it, you know what it did do? Da, 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 da. So you were wrong. You guessed wrong. Mm -hmm. But it still helped them. Mm -hmm. So again, you're, you're, the mindset is you're trying to help them, mm -hmm. trying to serve them, trying to love them, actually. Right. Sometimes asking questions. The, the unspoken message is what's going on in your life is valuable. And I think I'd like to hear more about it. Well, and this is such an important conversation because there's, there's growing, growing research talking about the pandemic of loneliness. And I think a lot of it is because people get together and have these monologues and there's no real connection. And I know in my own life, I have a lot of acquaintances, but only a few friends. And as I look back on the friendships I've developed and sustained, it's because they've been people who are interested in me and ask me good questions. And hopefully I do the same. It's reciprocal, but we, we get to another level just because we're interested in one another and want to know one another. And I think some of the best friendships are ones that say, um, we're going to work on this friendship and de deepen it and develop it, even if it's not always fun. Now, there's a whole lot of fun and there's a lot of fun that we do, but you know what? I want to develop this friendship so that when one of us is going through a time that's not fun, mm -hmm. well, I, I still care about that person, even if it's not fun. Mm -hmm. And that also means, but well, it's probably going to be lopsided at times. There's sometimes sure. that like, oh, we got together and boy, he, he just asked me questions. I didn't really find out what was going on in his life. You know what? That's okay. Cause right now I'm going through a tough time and he chose to kind of focus things in my direction mm -hmm. And there will be times when it'll go the other way. It doesn't always have to be this 50-50 balance. Right. I, I know that I've talked to you about this. Um, you know, I, I did a, a doctoral dissertation, and my research was built around 40 lengthy interviews of people who are recent Christians, re recent converts. And all of my interviews had to be at least 45 minutes long. I, I told people it would be 45 minutes to an hour. Wouldn't be longer than an hour but it had to be at least 45 minutes mm -hmm. because there's research that shows there people start remembering things and realizing things and connecting things after around 35 minutes. Huh. And so those kind of things don't come out when you do just a quick questionnaire. It was amazing. I would have these interviews with people and I had, I had my set list of questions that I was going to ask, but I was also ready to, you know, expand and go after other questions related 
And I, I usually got through all of my 15 standard questions by around the 30 minute mark, but I still had more time. So I would go back and revisit things. And I'd say, now, a little while ago, you said something about such and such. Can, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Mm-hmm. And again, it was amazing how many people said somewhere around minute 35, they would go, oh, wait a minute, I just remembered something. Wow, I can't believe I left that out. And then they would recall something. Or, you know, I would ask like about, you know, you read this book in your freshman year of college. Now, was there anything else that you had ever read before? And they go, no, oh, wait, wait, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait a second, I hadn't thought about this, but... When I was in 10th grade, my my English teacher assigned us to read. Wow, I never thought about it, but the theme in that book and the theme of this is the same. And so there's something about keeping the conversation going and drawing out that people start realizing things. Mm-hmm. Well, we've just got a few minutes left, and I've got four other areas that a student in their life at college, I think can benefit from asking good questions. So this might be a little rapid fire. And actually a lot of these things are going to be, I think the same principles applied in a different way. But uh, do you have any thoughts about how this might be nuanced in the dating relationships the students are in? Uh, A type of friendship, but uh, a little bit different. Well, I, I, I sure do think that asking questions and listening is very, very important for any relationship. If dating relationships are some of the closest relationships, then all the more reason to be a really good listener. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I understand it, uh, dating is for the purpose of figuring out whether this person is a potential uh, spouse. Mm-hmm. So y- you want to find out a lot about the person by asking and listening and empathizing and 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 listening for not just the words and the content of the answers, but with the tone Mm. and the flavor of the answer. Mm -hmm. How about uh, finding a good church uh, and a good campus fellowship? What are some ways to ask good questions in those contexts? Mm. Uh, There's certain um, non-negotiables that you should have, I think. So you want uh, a campus fellowship and a church that is solid theologically, that has good theology. And you probably do want to get some help from like, a, you know, a high school minister, youth pastor, you know, or your pastor at home. What are you looking for? What are mm-hmm. what are some denominations that are good ones? What are some ones to stay away from? So there's some non-negotiables. Mm-hmm. But then there there are some things that are just more personal taste, personal preference. And those are important too, but you want to keep them in in different categories. I mean, for me, music is very, very important because it's such a big part of my life. And so the kind of music at a at a church is very, very important. But it's it's not in the same primary category as good teaching and good theology. And then this is just cliche, but uh, you're you're never going to find a place that's perfect. So you have to decide what what are the the things that I must have in a church, and what are the things that yeah, there's going to be disappointments, there's going to be problems, and there going to be people there that uh, are not my kind of people, and um, so you need just to be have those kinds of expectations. Mm-hmm. By the way, that's one of the most important and one of the most difficult things about a church in that 
it is made up of people who are not like you. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's that's kind of like one of the best things for me, but it's like the least enjoyable. But it's one of the best things for me of going to a Sunday morning worship service. It's this built-in weekly reminder that I am not the center of the universe. Right. It's really good. It's like all these people here, like other people, like other stages of life and other problems. And, and you know, isn't that wonderful that we're one in Christ? But right. All right. So for the next few minutes, I'm going to hear an update about something that really doesn't apply to me. Good. That's what I need. The world doesn't revolve around me, painful as that may be. Or my demographic, which, of course, if you're just involved in a campus fellowship, you're not around people who are in different ages and stages and hearing those type of things either. Right. Right. So it's really, really important for college students Yes, to be involved in the college fellowship, that's really important. But it's also really important for them to get involved in the church. Remember, oh, you know, there are people here who are senior citizens. Mm -hmm. And there are people here who are much older than me, still single. People Mm -hmm. a little bit older than me, married with little kids. And the world is not just my campus fellowship. Campus fellowship is really, really crucial, but it's artificial also. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good word. Good word. And you said something else in passing that's really important. I want to emphasize it. It's not only asking the right questions about a good church or campus fellowship, but it's asking the right people the right questions. You know, your high school youth pastor, if you're in high school getting ready to go off to school, is going to be a much better person to ask than the guy who works down at the grocery store. So uh, being aware of, is this somebody who really can answer this question? Is this the kind of person who's got the the knowledge that I need. And by asking questions, I can get the knowledge from him. Yes. Well said. Well, how about choosing a major? What are some good questions and maybe even some people who ought to be asked these questions to make wise decisions of a college major? Man, boy. Am I asking you, am I asking you good questions? You, you're, you are. And you know, I, <laughs> I, I'm beginning to think that asking good questions is overrated. Um, I don't know if it's all that good. Um, Well, uh, choosing a major is this, it's this very interesting intersection between, okay, what are, what are, what are the opportunities that are out there? And what are the unique ways that God has wired me? So where's the intersection? What are, what are the things that I really like doing? What are, what are the things that I'm interested in? And, you know, the first year or two of college is, you know, explore different things, and, you know, check them out. Right. And, and then you want to get input from people who know you really well, your pastor, some really close friends, people who can be very honest with you and say, uh, no, I, I think that would be a terrible thing for you. I, I think you'd be really miserable in that. Mm-hmm. So, so it, it, it's, again, it's figuring out knowing that God has crafted each and every one of us in unique ways. And there are things that we're drawn to, mm-hmm. but then, you know, we also need to be realistic of how is this going to open up doors for me in the future? That's great. Last one. Uh, good questions to ask when thinking about one summer internship, summer mission project or opportunity, any thoughts there? Um, you just want to be you want to be very intentional about it because uh, these things will sneak up on you, and there's really only three of three summers in the course of four years, 
And the last one, you may have very little choice involved because that may be moving more toward internship or whatever. So uh, you want to give some very, very serious thought early on in the college year. Okay, what, what would be the best use of the summer? And maybe a way to do that, maybe a question to ask yourself is, at the end of the summer, when I come back to school in September and I see people I haven't seen since May and they say to me, hey, how was your summer? What is it that you hope you can say? Mm-hmm. How will I be able to, in September, say, oh, it was great because... Mm-hmm. Now, by the way, it may be, well, uh, I, I got a job and I made a lot of money this summer and I needed to. And it wasn't all that great socially for me, but I I needed to make a bunch of money. So that's okay. Sometimes that's kind of the need of the moment. Sure. But you want to ask the question of uh, what do I want it to be? Not just, not just, you know, the most fun. Right. But you you do want to be strategic about it because you, you, you won't have summers like that ever again. (laughs) (laughs) Half of May, June, July, half of August. No, that's, yeah, that's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> well, Randy, as we draw to a close, is there anything else you'd want to make sure that we touch on? Um, well, we've, we've, we've touched on a lot. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really grateful for this conversation and I'm, I'm encouraged by it. Um, we all want to grow in our ability to love the Lord, our God, and to love our neighbor. And I think being a good listener and a good question asker is a very good way of, of growing in both of those areas. Being a good questioner of the scriptures and about our faith makes us, helps us love God more. Mm-hmm. And being a good listener and a good question asker helps us love other people more. Mm-hmm. Good word. Good word. Well, let me ask you this question to summarize as well. We've talked a lot about the positives of asking questions. What are some pitfalls or errors to avoid as we work to engage others in good conversations with good questions? Mm. Well, you don't want to just always ask questions. I mean, after a while, that's annoying. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not asking questions for the sake of asking questions. Mm-hmm. You, you want to ask questions to grow in the relationship and develop more. But but there are times where where the quest the pivot question is, well, could I tell you what I believe? At which point, if they say yes, well, now you're not asking questions. Now you're making statements. Mm-hmm. So there's a time for those statements of here's what I believe. Mm-hmm. And I really hope you'll consider it. Mm. So that's just putting questions in the larger context. Good. Right. Right. Well, speaking of larger context, and this is an example of what you said before, as conversations go, more things come to mind. Uh, the largest context we've talked about individuals and evangelistic conversations, uh, peers, et cetera, et cetera. What's the role of asking questions of God? Mm. Mm. I thought you said we were wrapping up. <laughs> well, I was ready to, but I just keep getting questions coming to my mind. Uh, I, I think that's such a crucial, important part of growing as a, as a believer. Uh, isn't it amazing? He said, asking a question, how many questions there are in the Bible? Mm-hmm. How many times God poses questions to us? The prophet Isaiah, have you not heard? Have you not seen? Mm. So, so questions are a really, really crucial part of spiritual growth. 
And so I think we should we should ask lots and lots of questions and we should get help from people who may know answers or we may we just may want to dig in and dig as deeply as we can to find out answers. Uh, I'm I'm always disturbed when I hear people say uh, I was told growing up that I shouldn't ask so many questions. That's a terrible thing. Mm-hmm. Now, realistically, we we also need to be ready to to accept that, oh, you know what? Maybe there are some questions that I won't know the answer to, mm-hmm. that I can't know the answer to, or that are beyond human comprehension. There are places in the Bible where Paul raises a question and, and he says that, these things are unfathomable, to use the word from the end of Romans 11. Mm-hmm. So, there, so, so we do need to accept the fact that, oh, you know what? Yeah, there will be some things I won't be able to understand. No one can understand. Okay. But within that, I still want to be able to ask these questions and dig in. But we also need to be very, very honest with ourselves and pose this question to ourselves. Am I just asking this question, but I'm not really seeking an answer? Am I just raising this question as if to say, aha, see, I don't have to believe this because I pose this question. Well, that's not, you're not really being genuine. You're not being a person of integrity. Mm-hmm. So be, so we want to be really honest of, okay, this is a question I have. And oh, as part of that also is there are some questions that we can get part of an answer to. Mm. And that may be all that we can, but it's still good enough. Mm-hmm. So for me, the whole problem of, of evil and suffering, mm-hmm. it's I, I still don't have a complete answer to that question. But I think the Christian answer is better than the other answers. And so there are times when really, really difficult, painful things happen. And I think, okay, I'm not going to be able to totally make sense of this. But I'm going to cling and hang on to the to the hope of the gospel, because it's far better than all the other weaker, less helpful answers mm-hmm. out there. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, don't don't. Well, if I, if I'm not going to get an absolutely 100 percent guaranteed, completely satisfying answer, I'm just going to abandon the whole thing. No, that's that's just not reality. That's not the way life is. Yeah. Well, Randy, this has been a great conversation. Where can listeners go to get more information, learn more about this topic? Well, you want to you want to find uh, examples of good conversations and listen to them. There was a um, uh, a radio show and a podcast called On Being by Krista Tippett. She's not a, a person of faith, although she always asks questions about faith in her interviews. I just thought she was just a really, really good interviewer. Mm-hmm. And I would try to find other people who are good question askers. I would also try to observe when when things are being done really poorly, recognize that, and then turn them off. Mm. <laughs> so almost all of the news media stuff those are terrible interviews. <laughs> well, wouldn't you say, Doctor So and So, that you know, mm-hmm. like loading the question and right. you know, you're just trying to set up for an? I mean, they're really poor and they're terrible. And um, the late night talk shows, the comedy shows, uh, they're funny and they're entertaining, but they're not really good conversations. They're mm-hmm. just you know someone feeding a straight line for someone else to crack a joke. Right. So so and those are fun and entertaining, but I'm thinking they they better not be my best 
trainers. I, I mean, mm-hmm. so I, I want to find examples that are good. Uh, and, you know, we, we do have a, a great collection of podcasts in our day and age of people. So I, I would listen and try to find who, who are the interviewers like, oh, that was a good question. How that was, wow, that, that opened up a whole lot of things. So. Mm-hmm. Good. And I'm going to make sure in the show notes, I list all of your books, which model this so well in different contexts, whether oh, it's, it's questioning evangelism or bringing the gospel home or uh, corner conversations or the others. And you've got a new book coming out quickly. You want to plug that? Cause I think oh, that's yeah. a must read. Uh, it's uh, thank you. Uh, that's coming out in September, but I, I'm very excited about it. It's it's I look to see what we can learn about evangelism by reading and studying C.S. Lewis. So we're calling it mere evangelism. Subtitle uh, 10 Insights from C.S. Lewis for Sharing Your Faith. And uh, I, I think we have a lot to learn from both what he said and what he did and, and what he wrote. And that can make a big difference for a lot of us. Well, thanks for the ministry of putting pen to paper and bringing some of these thoughts to the rest of us. Uh, you've, uh, you've really served me and so many of us well through your writings. Appreciate it. And, and thanks for this time. This is just a wonderful conversation. I really enjoyed it. Great. Glad to do it. That brings us to the end of this edition of the College Faith Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this conversation at the intersection of Christian conviction and higher education. Be sure to check out today's show notes at collegefaith.net slash podcasts, where you can find more information and links to the resources we discussed. If you found this podcast helpful, please help spread the word by liking my College Faith Facebook page at facebook.com slash collegefaith and pass the show on to others who may enjoy hearing our conversation. Please do visit our sponsor, Global Scholars, to help equip Christian professors to be salt and light for Christ on their campuses. And if you haven't done so already, I would greatly appreciate your review of this show at Apple Podcast or Stitcher. Until next time, this is Stan Wallace encouraging you to love the Lord your God with both heart and mind during the university years and beyond.